The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Anxiety is one of those things that exists in most people's lives. It can be a very understated base emotion and feeling that we have that kind of limits us or keeps us in fear, keeps us stretching um, less than we could or allows us to feel every single obstacle that shows up in our life. Anxiety can also be one of those things that's such a huge part of our lives that it truly blocks us from really accomplishing and creating the dreams and goals and desires that we would have for ourselves. So what do we do with that anxiety? Is it something that we try to get rid of, or is it something that we try to live with? That's one of the big questions, and I often think that it's very much like the ego. Most people think that we should get rid of the ego in order to get into enlightenment or greater consciousness, that it's something bad or wrong and that it should not exist. But the ego has a particular purpose, and it's not that we need to get rid of the ego. We need to master the ego. Well, the same thing goes for anxiety. Anxiety has its purpose as well, and it's not that we're to get rid of anxiety. It is that we are to master anxiety, and there are many different areas that anxiety can show up in our life, so mastering it and utilizing it to our advantage will actually prove to assist us in creating in the way that we are desiring to create as creative beings on the planet. Are you creating less often than you would like? Are you avoiding your career or work, creative work altogether? If so, anxiety might be the culprit. Anxiety regularly stops creative people in their tracks and makes their experience of creating more painful than pleasurable. It stops would-be creative people entirely, preventing them from realizing their dreams. Anxiety is the number one problem that creative people face, and yet few even realize it. Do you procrastinate? Well, that's anxiety. Do you get resistance to your work or marketing your work? That's anxiety. Do you have trouble deciding which creative project to tackle or take on too many at one time? That's anxiety. Do you find completing work a difficult task? That's anxiety. Anxiety permeates the creative process, so we have to learn what to do about it. And my guest today is going to help us understand that. But before I introduce him, I want you to understand that anxiety comes from a lot of different areas. There's the anxiety of creating and not creating. There's the anxiety of mattering and not mattering. The anxiety of identity, individuality, whether or not we choose the creative life. We have anxiety of just surviving 
There's anxiety in our day, in our daily life, and in our jobs. There ends up being anxiety in every choice that we have, even in the compromises that we make or the possibilities that we explore. There's anxiety of working, thinking, anxiety of ruining or failing, the anxiety of even completing tasks. What are we going to do once we complete something? And that can stop us from completing it. There's the anxiety of attaching and caring about ourselves, the people around us, our projects, anything in life. There's anxiety about ego bruising, about performing, anxiety about selling, and we're all selling something in this life, whether we are selling ourselves in terms of the assets we have or the beauty that we have or whether we're selling a product. There's the anxiety of promoting things, procrastinating, we said before, and then the anxiety of waiting or repeating, and most importantly, the anxiety of success. Our greatest fear really isn't failing. It's actually achieving the success that we truly long for. Many of us believe, if I really got that success, could I handle it? What would I do with it? What would I do next? What bar would I then raise that I'd have to achieve because I had already achieved this one? And that can be an ongoing snowball effect that just amplifies that anxiety and allows it to overtake us, sending us into places of fear and doubt and actually paralysis so that we do not create, we do not move out into the world, we do not manifest in the way that we would desire to manifest. There are ways of actually alleviating these issues and allowing anxiety to be something that we master instead of something that takes over our life. And there are several different ways and different types of tools and techniques that you can use to actually master your anxiety. There are all kinds of methods that will allow you to understand that this is a tool that you can use if you can learn how to actually master the pieces that that are blocking you. Some of those things are very, very simple, easy solutions. There are such things such as the attitude of your choices or something called personality upgrading, improved appraising and looking at how you look at things, or even just analyzing the anxiety that comes on. And my guest today, Dr. Eric Maisel, is the foremost creativity coach and a prolific creator who has written more than 30 books, including Creativity for Life and the Van Gogh Blues. He is a columnist for Art Calendar Magazine. He coaches individuals trains creativity coaches, offers workshops and lectures internationally. In his decades as a psychotherapist and creativity coach, Eric Maisel has found a common thread behind what often gets labeled writer's block, procrastination, or stage fright. And this is the anxiety, the particular anxiety, that paradoxically keeps creators from doing, completing, or sharing the work that they are driven toward. So although we're speaking to those that would be writers, would be painters, would be artists, I want you to also just take this to heart as a would-be human being in the world, because we are here as creative beings. Every single thing we do, from making conversation to making a dinner to creating a work of art, is a creative act. And every single thing we do has some lacing of anxiety around it. So without further ado, I'd like to invite Eric Maisel, welcome him to 1111 Talk Radio, and talk about his wonderful new book, Mastering Creative Anxiety. Welcome, Eric, to 1111 Talk Radio. Great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you here, and I actually very much appreciated this book because I have been in such a um, 
urgent need to create this year. 2011 stands for action. It's the energy of action, the energy of creation. A lot of people feel it. They feel it's time to get moving and get doing and put their ideas out into the world. And so this is a very, very timely book because the anxiety that shows up in our life is there, and we need to know what to do with it. We can't get rid of it, but we can master it. That's right. We can't get rid of it, nor should we try, because the the effort to get rid of it can crush creativity. If you're a painter who maybe does stripe paintings and knows how to do one after another, maybe that quells your anxiety because you know how to do them perfectly well, but that may prevent you from branching out in some other direction or really manifesting your creativity. So the effort to quell anxiety completely doesn't work. We actually have to invite it in, embrace it, and then learn how to master it. So anxiety really is part of the human condition. So it's, it's not something, it's part of us. Is there an advantage to it? Well, it's part of our, our warning system about danger. Uh, sometimes there's a distinction made between anxiety and fear. Fear being if you're in the presence of a saber-toothed tiger, there's a real threat. And anxiety is more the, so to speak, irrational threat of merely having to speak in front of an audience. But I'm not quite sure that's so irrational, because if that's your job, you do want to do it well, and there may be consequences of you doing it poorly. So that may be as real a danger as a tiger, so to speak. So anxiety arises in us because we get scared, and we get scared because things can be scary. Unfortunately, we overdo it. We magnify the risks involved in, for instance, going into the unknown and writing a novel. We make that a scarier proposition than it actually is, and so we raise our anxiety level unnecessarily. Now, in a lot of the research that I've done, I've found that there's a line of polarity that exists, and fear exists on one end, but the total opposite of that actually is passion. And many people mistaken sometimes that butterflies in the stomach and different bodily reactions as fear when actually it's their passionate response wanting to come forward. Would anxiety fit somewhere on this line of polarity so that we can start to maybe shift our perception about anxiety and move out of the blocks and move a little bit more into the creation? Yeah, we're not uh, built to perfectly distinguish between anxiety and excitement. It's unfortunate because when adrenaline starts to well up in us, let's say because we're singing an aria in an opera, tons of adrenaline get activated at that moment, and we can name that as anxiety or we can name that as excitement because it feels the same in the body. If we name it as anxiety, we get more scared than we need to be. And if we can name it as excitement or passion or any of the words like that, then we can enjoy it more and not be so frightened. I am with uh, Dr. Eric Maisel, the author of a wonderful new book entitled Mastering Creative Anxiety, 24 Lessons for Writers, Painters, Musicians, and Actors from America's Foremost Creativity Coach. He is an author, a family therapist, and a cultural observer, widely regarded as one of the leading experts and creativity coaches today. He has more than 30 books, and this book is just masterful in helping you move through the anxiety that may be blocking or be an obstacle in your creative life. You can connect with him at ericmazel.com, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L. We'll be right back with Dr. Eric Maisel.
online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. What I want to be when I grow up by Johnny Mike. Dad, it's John. I got the promotion. We'll call him John Jr. You'll speak over 500 million words in your lifetime, but none of them will be as important as the words you use to tell your six-year-old he has cancer. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Mastering Creative Anxiety by author Dr. Eric Maisel, America's foremost creativity coach, provides practical insights and proven techniques for overcoming the challenges and fears that plague creators of every kind. There are teaching tales that convey effective approaches to creating fearlessly and abundantly and many tips and tools to recognize how to master your anxiety. Dr. Maisel says that since both creating and non-creating produce anxiety in anyone who wants to create, we might as well embrace the fact that anxiety will accompany us on the journey as a creative person. So whether or not you're getting on with your work, just embrace the reality will release a lot of the ambient anxiety that you feel. And that is true. Whether or not we're creating, we are going to have that anxiety within us, so we might as well just create. That's right, because uh, if it's in our heart to create, then it upsets us when we don't. It's often hard work to create and anxiety-provoking to create, but it's often just as hard work not to create. We're, we're pushing ourselves down in some way when we don't create. Given that both of those situations can be difficult, I think it's obvious that it's better to opt for creating. 
Dr. Maisel, I feel like a lot of what we do in, in our soul journey is to really try to make meaning of life or try to make meaning of why we're here. Creative aspirations oftentimes would be the manner in which we could create some of that meaning. But why then does the anxiety show up if it is all about making meaning? Well, let me start from maybe a step back from that particular question to something that concerns me a lot and that I talk about a lot, and that's the paradigm shift from seeking meaning to making meaning, which I think is one of the next steps our species needs to understand. We've had for thousands of years the the metaphor of seeking meaning, that meaning is somewhere on the top of a mountain or at a guru's feet or someplace outside of ourselves, and that it's something like a, a lost purse, that we've lost it somehow, we have to go looking for it. I think we understand now that the task really is to stay put and make use of our values and our principles and make meaning. That's our uh, true desire and what's necessary today. Given that we don't understand this clearly yet, it's very easy for a person not to be sure if her creative efforts matter or not. Does another poem matter? Does another painting matter? Does another novel matter? Until you realize that meaning-making is your task and that creating is one meaning opportunity, one of many, we have many different ways that human beings experience meaningfulness, might be through service or relationship, but creating is one of the primary ones. Until we realize that that's one of our primary meaning-making opportunities, we get confused and we wonder if our efforts matter. And that confusion leads us to anxiety because we wonder why something so important to us also seems so elusive. And part of that elusiveness has to do with our, with our lack of a clear idea that the work does matter to us. And I'd like to talk about two points in regard to that. One thing is you have a very powerful statement in the book that is creativity is the word we use for our desire to make use of our inner resources, employ our imagination, knit together our thoughts and feelings into beautiful things such as songs, quilts, or novels, and feel like the hero of our own story. So part of this is the quest to really recognize ourselves. But on the other hand, there is this identity that we have begun to believe about ourselves, possibly from the time we were born. So there is the one that we want to become, and yet there's the one that we think we are. That's right. And if there's anything that we've learned from more than 100 years of psychotherapy, it's how self-unfriendly our inner language is and how often we're saying, I'm not talented, there's too much competition, why bother, who am I to say this, I have nothing new to say, etc., 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 And this goes on inside of our heads all day long and really prevents us from manifesting our artist identity, that part that would make us proud. We would love to make ourselves proud by creating a body of work in whatever our discipline might be, not just create one thing or two things, but really create many things over time and and live a real creative life. But our lack of a strong artist identity and the pervasiveness of our negative self-talk makes that really difficult. And in wanting to create something that really matters, it, it seems that we do that because we're expecting some sort of payoff or some sort of result at the end. And that result always seems to be attached to those outside of us. Is there part of us that really just needs to get to the place where we create regardless of whether or not it produces anything else? Yeah, it's a very big point. And I, I ask clients to show up and not be attached to outcomes. 
And that's probably just another way of saying what you said. It's really important that people who want to create institute a morning creativity practice. I think it's important that it be before your day starts, and there are a couple of reasons for that. First is if you can spend an hour first thing each day, five days a week or six days a week or seven days a week creating, you'll obviously get a lot of work done over time. And the second reason it's important is that you'll get to make use of your sleep thinking. We, we think while we sleep, but we don't make use of that. As soon as we turn to the day, whatever we were thinking about vanishes. So by turning your, to your creative work first thing in the morning, you can make use of your sleep thinking. And the third point is something we talked about a second ago, and that is if you get to your creative work first thing, then you'll have the experience of having made meaning on that day already. And the rest of the day can be half meaningless and you won't get depressed. It's like an existential antidote. So it's very important that people show up and not attach to outcomes. And another reason, obvious reason, but we forget it, that you don't want to attach to outcomes is that only some percentage of our work will actually work, will actually be successful. That's the truth about process. If you hope that every single thing you do will be exceptional, that's, that's a road to despair because the truth of the matter is that we only do exceptional work some of the time. So it's very important not to get too attached to your current creative project. You want to love it. You want to have ambitions. You want to have dreams. But that's different from being attached to it. You want to do this dance of attachment and detachment with each creative project, remembering that's important to you, but also remembering that it may not work. Well, and I have also discovered that so often we have these different creative projects that don't work, but they are actually stepping stones or learning lessons for perhaps a grand project that will work. Because if we really got all of the success right away, I don't know that we could handle it or know what to do with it. It's almost as if we have to go through that process of learning and discovery. Well, that's true if you can tolerate um, a string of lack of successes. For instance, if, if you spend two years on your first novel and it doesn't work, most writers will at that point badmouth themselves and stop writing. They won't say, oh, this is just process, let me learn from this. More often they'll say, why did I think I could do this? Look at this mess I made, etc., etc. So I entirely agree with you that there's plenty to be learned from our not-stellar performances, but it's hard not to knock ourselves for them and it's hard not to avoid the next creative encounter when the last one didn't turn out so well. So I want to go back to one thing that you said, and that was that, that we develop a practice every morning where we do perhaps an hour of creativity type of work, and that our sleep time is a time when we're also processing or, or doing that. Is our creation work also a way of us processing those unresolved things. They often say that writers or painters, we, we do what we do to help us resolve issues or explain things or make the meaning out of things. So is that another way for us to remain mentally healthy and emotionally healthy by allowing us the gifts of the creativity? Well, it is, but it's complicated because if you are mindfully putting yourself in touch with painful experiences, you're going to experience pain. You know, if you were, let's say, a rape victim and decide to do a series of paintings about the experience, obviously you're going to be bringing back a lot of emotional material into the current moment. And it may ultimately be wonderfully cathartic to do it, but in the moment it may be very anxiety-provoking and stressful and difficult. So it's important to have a real support system in place, and I don't mean human beings necessarily, but an understanding of what you can do to take care of yourself 
when you go into the depth like that and how you're going to come out of the depth uh, successfully because it's important to go deep and do real work. But we have to realize that clients often do not realize that when they say, I think I'd like to take a risk, it's going to feel risky. We just sort of now casually say, yeah, I think I'll take a risk, but we don't actually want it to feel risky. And often the creative process, going in there into the unknown and doing the work, is actually experienced as a risk, and we need to know how to handle that. And when we go in there and do the work, and you're talking about this anxiety that gets produced, is it the revisiting of the issue, or is it the thinking around the issue? You have a chapter in your book about the anxiety of thinking, and I often tell people, you know, our thinking got us where we are, so maybe we shouldn't think so much. That's right. Uh, so is it the anxiety of the thinking that goes around it and all of that talk that goes on inside that really is the hindering part? Well, it's it's both. Um, with post-traumatic stress disorder work, one of the things you hope um, clients will be able to do over time is to re-see the situation without re-experiencing it you can, so that you're able to think about it but not have to experience it again. So the experiencing it is worse than the thinking about it, but as you say, the thinking about it can be its own kind of block or sabotage. I think the simpler way to say it is whenever we go to a place of serious material, we're going to experience something, whether it's because we're thinking about it or because we're feeling it, and we have to know how to deal with those um, experiences in the moment. So there are different types of tools and techniques that we can use to begin to master the anxiety that shows up. Can you talk about a couple of the ones that would be perhaps the simpler ones that we can use sure. at the drop of a hat? Yeah, in the book I think I go over 22 categories, so obviously Many, there are yes. a lot of choices for people. The simplest one, and it's thousands of years old, is deep breathing. That still works the best and is the simplest one to master five seconds on the inhale, five seconds on the exhale. A couple of cleansing breaths can do wonders to reduce our experience of anxiety. The next is probably cognitive work, namely getting a grip on our mind, thinking the right things. And a nice way to marry simple cognitive work with simple breathing is to create a calming phrase, whatever words work for you. It could be, I feel supported, or I trust my resources, or I feel just fine some phrase that'll fit into one deep breath and then you think half the thought on the inhale and half the thought on the exhale and I call these little bundles incantations just to distinguish them from affirmations they're very much like affirmations except they have the breathing component and by breathing in and breathing out and thinking the right thing you can create this little magical charm that just takes 10 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 seconds but that can really reduce your experience of anxiety my guest today is Dr. Eric Maisel, and he has authored a wonderful new book entitled Mastering Creative Anxiety. There are 24 lessons for writers, painters, musicians, and actors from America's foremost creativity coach, and who I, a book that I believe actually just in dealing with life, in dealing with your anxiety, there are some amazing tips and tools that you can utilize just to calm and create balance and peace in some daily interactions for yourself. There are practical insights and proven techniques for overcoming challenges and fears, and there are also teaching tales that convey effective approaches to creating fearlessly. You can connect with him at ericmaisel.com. 
and what could be more natural than wanting to create? Sometimes there's an enormous leap to be made. However, because we take deep pleasure in writing something or creating something, yet we worry about how's it going to affect others, how we're going to make a living, who's going to be interested in our stories. Will this be fair to future family? We'll talk about more of these questions when we return with Dr. Eric Mazel. The book is entitled Mastering Creative Anxiety. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to schedule a bone we'll to perform a surgery. After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Many different anxieties can arise as we tackle our own work. The three main reasons that we experience so much anxiety as we do creative work is that we can have self-talk, which tends to let us down and not be supportive. We tend to doubt the quality of our work, and we measure it against very high standards of art that we love and try to make it as comparative or excellent. And the very nature of the creative process causes our work to morph in front of us and comes with no guarantees whatsoever. 
you can master your creative anxiety by following some easy tools and steps that are brought forth in a book by Dr. Eric Maisel entitled Mastering Creative Anxiety. You can also connect with him at his website, ericmaisel.com, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L. Dr. Maisel, I'd like to talk a little bit about when we make the choice to do something, number one, that can create some anxiety or even having to make a choice. And then when we pursue a creative pursuit, um, that can affect people around us or our finances, and then that creates a whole other string of anxieties that can hinder our lives. Yeah, it's two enormous subjects, so let's start with choosing. What creative people tend to forget is that every single thing they do is a choice as a creative person whether to put a little red here or a little blue there, whether to send their character to Paris or Zanzibar. It's one choice after another, and choosing by its very nature provokes anxiety. If you just think of what it feels like to choose, choose a new car or choose even your breakfast cereal, we get a little tendril of anxiety about such things. But for the creative process, it's one choice after another. And so that has to be reckoned in, has to be factored into the equation, When we're in the trance of working, we don't experience the creative process as one choice after another. We vanish, and we just make our choices without noticing that we're choosing. But when we're not in that deep, quiet place of the trance of working, we're very aware that we have to make the next choice and the next choice, and that feels so difficult that we tend to flee the encounter. Excuse me one second, Dr. Basil. So if we're in that place of having to make a choice and we're conscious of it, we're not Mm -hmm. in the creative process, is there something that can be done just prior to the choice that at least can alleviate that somewhat? I think being mindful of the fact that you need to do all this choosing, knowledge is a tool here. And if you just say to yourself, wow, I can see that I'm really having trouble deciding whether to send Marsha to Paris or Zanzibar in Chapter 3, so I think I'm going to get up and walk around, not run away from my novel, but just get up and walk around. A kind of physical relaxation effort, like just getting up and walking around, it's both a sort of a discharge technique, it's called, and a physical relaxation technique. That reduces our experience of anxiety. So we can be smart with ourselves, and we can say, wow, I've got a choice here in front of me. I see it. And the thing I don't want to do is take the week off or the month off or the year off and not deal with this choice. I understand that I'm going to have to make a choice here, right or wrong. With that awareness that we have to make the choice, we can do some small anxiety management gesture in that moment, reduce our experience of anxiety, and then face the choice with more strength. And I think that that also allows us to slow down life a little bit because right. we often get so caught up in the next thing to do, in completing the next task and getting the project done, that we sometimes miss the process. So this actually slows it enough that we really get a full experience instead of just the anxiety and then the creation. Yeah, and there's a funny paradox there because when we're working really well, we often get a little bit manic. We, we're we're experiencing what I call productive obsessions. We get obsessed with the work. So we're actually speeding up at exactly the same moment that we need to slow down. So it's very hard for a creative person. As I've, I've called it a dance before, and I think dance is the right word because there are conflicting forces and energies going on simultaneously, and so you're naturally rushing along at that moment, and rushing along is a good thing because that means you're immersed and passionate and in love with the project, etc., but at the same time, you have to 
have that quiet, calm, centered, balanced presence that allows you to notice that a big choice is coming up and that that's going to be a problem and that you're going to have to do something about it. Most definitely. That's, that's extremely powerful. So once we've made the choice to do something, then all of the fears and anxieties come up about the results and who's it going to affect and am I going to make any money and is it going to be accepted and will it be successful? What do we do with that? All of that. Well, it comes up before it's done, really, because one of the big problems that the creative people have is completing their work. And one of the, one of the reasons that they have trouble completing their work is that they know once it's done, then logically it ought to go into the marketplace. And then all of those questions of criticism and competition and rejection are going to raise their ugly heads. So without knowing why they're not finishing things, creative people often don't get their work finished because they... Out of conscious awareness, they know if it's not finished, they don't have to put it into the marketplace. So the anxieties of the marketplace and all of that arise long before things are actually finished. They're actually sitting on an artist's shoulder sort of all throughout the process, uh, burdening the artist. But then the moment comes when the thing is done, and then you have to face the marketplace. And that, for many artists, is their most anxiety-provoking moment. And there are many things to be said about that, but I think... One of the smartest things to say here is that rehearsal and preparation are anxiety management tools. And if you will yourself into the shoes of a marketplace player and try to identify the most natural questions you might be asked with respect to the thing you've created, questions like, you know, how long is your novel or what is it about, just the most straightforward questions, if you rehearse answers to those questions, you'll lessen your experience of anxiety somewhat, and you'll be much more present when those questions are actually asked of you. And I think that also has to do with loving ourselves enough to know that if we are not adept in a certain way or we don't know how to prepare for something, to get a coach or to get someone that can support us business-wise or marketing-wise or whatever area that we feel is our weakness, because it's typically our weaknesses that really quell the anxiety. Right, and if you don't want to throw money at the problem, having an art buddy is a very smart thing. If there's somebody in your life whose opinion you respect or who's just sort of smart, sort of a smart, mature person, that can be a very valuable asset in your art career because you can ask of that person, you know, can you just please play a gallery owner for me for the next half hour and ask me the things you think a gallery owner would ask me and I'm going to try to respond and not, not quake in my boots. So, yes, getting a creativity coach or a life coach or a marketplace coach, all of, that, all of that's available, but it also can be done without spending money by finding somebody in your world who can serve to role-play and rehearse situations with you. Most definitely. And then there is the aspect of anxiety that, number one, could be from thinking that we're going to fail, but also one of the largest fears people have is actually succeeding. It's a very mixed-up thing, isn't it? Because sometimes uh, it turns out to be actually a fear of failure under the fear of success. But one of the things I like to do is kind of normalize what success is going to look like. Sometimes a writer will say to me, well, if I'm successful, I'm going to have to spend three months on a, on a tour of you know, bookstores around the country. And then I get to say, there isn't one writer in 100 who gets to do that. Most publishers only reserve that kind of tour 
for the very occasional best-selling author, and you don't have to worry yourself about those things. Very often, creative people have over have exaggerated what success is going to mean. Often, success can be can feel great and be much quieter than we think it's going to be, and put much fewer demands on us than it will. If it's a huge success, if it's if it's if you become a household name, absolutely, the, the kind of pressures on you at that point are enormous. But for most people, success is not going to bring with it the kinds of pressures they think it's going to bring. And would it be helpful then to actually stop ourselves in the process and then define terms like that, define what success would feel and mean for us? Maybe it's not uh, touring around the country. Maybe it is just having a certain number of people really appreciate the work or having the work uh, achieve a certain level rather than the highest level. Maybe it's defining what we really That's right. see as success. It is because it's idiosyncratic for everybody. Um, there are artists who have had tremendous successes by doing just one thing. Sometimes I think of, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. I believe it was Har- Harper Lee's only novel. And certainly J.D. Salinger's lived on Catcher in the Rye. There are many artists who had tremendously successful careers by only doing one thing. Dr. Eric Maisel has found a common thread behind what often gets labeled writer's block, procrastination, or stage fright. It's the particular anxiety that paradoxically keeps creators from doing, completing, or sharing the work they are driven toward. This creative anxiety can take the form of avoiding the work, declaring it not good enough, or failing to market it, and it can cripple creators for decades, even lifetimes. Maisel has learned what sets successful creators apart, and he shares these strategies in a wonderful new book entitled Mastering Creative Anxiety. You can also connect with him at ericmaisel.com. We'll be right back to talk a little bit more about mastering your anxiety. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Just what is Skills USA? Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people. Skills USA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. Find out more on the web at skillsusa.org. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 
11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Dr. Eric Maisel, author of Mastering Creative Anxiety, says that the creative process, the creative life, and the human mind provoke anxiety. If you can get a grip on your mind, you will go a long way toward extinguishing much of the anxiety in your life. But life itself presents the kinds of threats and difficulties that make it virtually impossible to eliminate all of anxiety. Try to extinguish the portion of your anxiety that is possible, but for the remaining portion, make use of anxiety management techniques that are described in this particular book, Mastering Creative Anxiety. The techniques are going to be very valuable to you, but only if you practice them. It is our personal responsibility to access the tools and techniques, along with taking personal responsibility for who we are and who we have been and doing the inner work necessary if we truly want to heal and grow and evolve and be able to express fully and unencumbered. I'd like to talk a little bit in our last segment, Dr. Maisel, stepping a little away from just the creative person, mm-hmm. although we're all creative, to the average everyday person and the anxiety that can show up in our workplace or just in daily life or just with the things that are showing up on TV because creativity happens all around us all the time. So the techniques that are in this book how do we then take that type of anxiety that's showing up there and still use it, use the techniques here to support us, but then evolve ourselves into the creative beings that allow more to express? Because that's why we're really here. Well, I think, I think cognitive work is always first. I think we need to really pay attention to how we talk to ourselves. We're very tricky creatures, and we often don't want to notice what we say to ourselves 
cognitive therapists teach a, a simple, smart three-step procedure, and anybody can use it in the workplace or anywhere else, and that's to notice what you're saying and to dispute those utterances that don't serve you and then to substitute more affirmative language. And as I say, the first part of that, noticing what you're saying, is already an act of courage because we'll often say things to ourselves that disguise our real motives. Like we may say, I'm too busy or I'm too tired. And because that sounds like the truth, we may use those um, utterances to keep from writing our novel or starting our home business or whatever. So we have to get smarter and wiser about our self-talk, notice what we're saying, and then dispute those utterances which don't serve us. That's not the same as talking about truth or falsity. It may be true that we're tired, but we still may dispute it and say, yeah, I'm tired, but I still can spend another hour at work. And then we want to substitute a more affirmative language for our negative self-talk. We want to be kinder to ourselves and be our own best friends and advocates because, really, we are the person with, with the most responsibility for taking care of ourselves. And much of the anxiety that's created, it really is all just the self-inflicted pressure. It's, it's not really that anyone else is pushing us or goading us to do anything. It really is something deep within us that feels the need to do more, to create, or at least that's what I find it, it in my is. own life. And um, we can, for instance, uh, turn any situation into a performance situation and produce anxiety out of nowhere. Sometimes I think of myself as a, you know, as a six-year-old boy, if you bounce a ball off a wall and you catch it, there's no anxiety, whatever. But if you say to yourself, well, the next catch is going to win the World Series, suddenly you've created this bizarre anxiety situation out of nowhere, and you're as likely as not to drop the ball the next time just because you've made this performance situation just through your mind out of nowhere. And is we there... do that all the time. Nothing really is going on except we turn it into a performance situation. And as we know, an awful lot of people experience performance anxiety. So as soon as you turn a situation into a performance you're going to provoke anxiety. Well, I wish we had more time to talk to you. It's an interesting topic and a wonderful book for every individual to read to support your level of anxiety that's in your life. You can connect with Eric Maisel at ericmaisel.com, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L, and definitely go out and get his book, Mastering Creative Anxiety. My guest next week is Matthew Fox, and we'll be speaking about the Christian mystics. And in addition, the next issue of 1111 Magazine will soon be out, and there are some amazing articles by Mary Williamson, Byron Katie discussing the work. We are featuring an article on human design, the blueprint of the soul, and also a wonderful article on Madaloma Somme. So I hope you will access 1111 Magazine at 1111mag.com or pick it up at a Barnes & Noble, Borders, or Chapters bookstore near you. I'm Simran Singh. Until next week, be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of Conscious Choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.